The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 16th chapter. From that time on, after Peter had confessed that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels and in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated and uh, invite the children to come up with Deborah Chaudhry, who's going to do the children's time, for which I'm quite grateful. I wonder sometimes about the attraction to the dangerous in our culture. More and more people, it seems, are involved in whitewater rafting and uh, whitewater kayaking, ocean kayaking, mountain climbing, bungee jumping, free rock climbing, um, and skydiving. And even more, watch it on TV and and video or, or read about it. Some commentators say that we're seeing this death-defying streak in our culture because modern life has become too soft, too comfortable. War seems far away to most of us in this culture. Few people work at jobs that require physical strength or are dangerous. So there are really very few physical challenges, so we create them. Thanks to the feeling of control that technology brings, we, the natural often just feels out of reach. And some people go to great lengths and take great risks in order to feel alive by pushing them to their physical limits, skating along that thin edge be separating life and death. And my hunch that is that that's what this is really about, that it's a, a spiritual quest, a quest for the meaning of life at the risk of death that somehow when you risk dying, you're getting close to the spiritual reality that's at the heart of all of us. And it's like the paradox of something that Martin Luther King Jr. said a long time, that if, if a person hasn't discovered something that they'll die for, they aren't fit to live.
Well, that's what our lessons today are about. Life is to be found in the willingness to let go of it, not frivolously, but for the sake of others and for the sake of God's rule. Jesus puts it most succinctly in today's gospel. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world and lose their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? If we're in this life for our own glory or gain, we're going to be disappointed. If we think that we're going to be thanked and admired by everyone for doing God's will, we're in for a surprise. Doing the right thing, following Jesus, will not be easy. It will cost us something and maybe everything. Take Jeremiah as an example. No prophet was more faithful in announcing the Lord's word to the people. The trouble was that these are words that they mostly didn't want to hear. He said to the Lord, know that on your account I suffer insult. And this happened to him because he had imbibed God's word. He had eaten it, made it part of himself. As he said, your words were found and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. God's word was a joy and a delight, but it brought him bitterness and loneliness. He felt betrayed. Why is my pain unceasing, he wrote, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Truly, you are to me a deceitful brook, like waters that fail. But notice the Lord's response to Jeremiah. It's essentially, stop complaining and I won't hold it against you. You are to be my mouth. It will not be easy. They will oppose you, but not destroy you. Jeremiah was understandably unhappy with the extreme self-sacrifice that was required of him. Today's gospel and first lesson are in line with the reading from Romans last week that was at the beginning of chapter 12, more of which we read today. Paul wrote, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Become a living sacrifice, Paul says. It's not something we usually want to do. The image here is of a body given up for the world to feast upon, like Jesus' body and blood given with the bread and cup of Holy Communion. But when we are baptized, we do present our bodies to God. It's a bodily action that conveys dying or drowning with Christ so that we can be raised with him. Next Sunday, Abigail and Colby and Elliot will be presented to God so that their lives, like ours, can be a living sacrifice to God. In the ancient world, sacrifices were useless from a practical sense. The sacrifice was burned up to produce a kind of incense for the gods, a sweet smell to please God. So sacrifice means to give up 
to render ourselves to render useless for ourselves what is otherwise important. It means giving up control of what we are and what we have so God can use it to do God's will. It is by becoming a living sacrifice that we become holy as God is holy. Our lives become sanctified, filled with the presence of God and joy in God. It sounds great, but it requires nonconformity to the world, acting differently from other people, and that's bound to bring trouble. It certainly meant trouble for Paul. A little reading in the book of Acts reveals how many times he was thrown out of towns and synagogues and thrown into jail. But here in chapter 12, and the most of the book of Romans, the sacrifice that Paul is writing about is financial. He's getting ready to start a mission in Spain, and he wants the Roman Christians, who he knows are much better off than the Christians back in Jerusalem, he wants them to support this mission to Spain financially. Presenting themselves as a living sacrifice is going to mean being generous with what God has given to them. Their giving of money for Paul's efforts to bring the gospel to Spain will be a symbol of their offering their bodies, their lives, to God, much as our offerings are a sign of offering ourselves to God, a sign that we belong to God in Christ, that we are God's possession. Some years ago, Bill Moyers did a public TV special on the hymn Amazing Grace, which in the last 25 years has become the most common hymn that is sung at funerals. Something was not true at the beginning of my ministry, but has certainly been true for like the last 25 years. And it's probably the best known hymn in American culture. The fact that Judy Collins 40 years ago could record this and sing it in concerts and people would sing along, they actually knew this one. The program included background on John Newton, the author of the hymn. Newton was the captain of a ship that brought slaves from Africa to England and the New World. And even though this was his livelihood, he became more and more revolted by the slave trade until he finally left it and joined William Wilberforce and the anti-slavery movement in England. This was a real transformation and sacrifice, the renewal of his mind and the offering of his life. And he describes this transformation in the hymn with one line, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." Hearing the invitation to take up his cross and follow Jesus made him first afraid, aware of his shortcomings and sinfulness, that he was doing wrong. And once he had undergone the transformation from slave trader to opponent, he experienced grace as a relief from fear. He also experienced the loss of his lucrative livelihood. Newton did not take the easy way, but rather the way of the cross, the way of self-sacrifice. The easy way is to do what comes naturally, to take the path of least resistance. Jeremiah knew that followers of the Lord are called not to take the easy way, 
but to say and do what is right and true. He learned that sac sacrifice is a consequence of following. Paul invites us to present ourselves as an offering to God, and Jesus makes it clear that it's going to cost us something to follow him. The road to eternal life with him is the way of the cross, the way that will extract sacrifice from us, the way of risk for his sake, not just for fun. And we are placed on this way, this road, in baptism, as Abigail and Colby and Elliot will be next Sunday. Christ invites us to take this risk, to endure the pain of this challenge, in order to be part of something important, something that matters eternally, the household of God. We are challenged to invite people to join us in following Jesus on the way of the cross, to lose their lives in order to gain them back again. Jesus invites us to follow him on the road of self-sacrifice that leads to eternal life, the eternal life that he gives. Let us join us, join him on that road with anticipation and hope and joy. Amen.